This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 238 today. Uh, we are joined by guest Christy Myers, who started Flow Integrative, which we were going to be talking about ketamine therapy uh, and the different aspects of uh, ketamine therapy. Um, also, uh, before we get started, you can check out our website. I have the link down below at the bottom. Um, and let's see here. Also, you can head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash mindescapepodcast. For just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Um, we'll see if we have time at the end. Maybe we can do a short one with uh, Christy today. Um, and if you're interested, here's some designs from our merch store. We have T-shirts, mugs, all sorts of stuff. So go check that out. Uh, links down below in our link tree. And indrasweb.org is live. This is a social media platform we created to connect open minds. So whether you want to theorize, speculate, hypothesize, it's the perfect place to do it on all the topics we discuss on the mm -hmm. show. We are still working on getting in the App Store, and it should be in there somewhat soon. I will let everybody know. Um, and we already gave away one Mind Escape t-shirt. Tom Hickey was the winner last month. He sent me a picture of him wearing it. So thank you to Maurice for getting that shirt out to him. And congratulations to Tom. We are going to give away another shirt this month. We do have one large and one medium uh, left. So if you're interested, all you have to do to, um, uh, basically enter to win is you go to Apple, Spotify, or Google podcast, leave a five-star review, take a screenshot of it, and then send that to mind escape podcast at gmail.com. That will enter you to win. And I will re-enter the people that, uh, were not chosen the last couple months as well. So thank you. And, uh, welcome to the show, Christy. How are you? Very well. Thanks for having me. So you started a uh, practice called Flow Integrative, and you basically just do different types of ketamine therapy. Um, how did you get into uh, ketamine as uh, different ways to treat things like mental health, addiction, uh, things of that nature? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Ketamine made its way into my classroom as well as my drug box. 
So part of my professional history is that I've been a paramedic for 16 years and in emergency medicine for 20. And over the last decade, I've really stepped into the professional realm of education, becoming a tenured professor and pharmacology uh, is my gift. And so as ketamine made its way into our drug box, as paramedics, we actually give ketamine on a daily basis. Um, we also use it daily in the emergency room. And then, of course, I really had to wrap my head around how to deliver the content and start uh, really working at demystifying the drug because of the rap that it got from the 90s and 2000s. Mm. So uh, both sides of the spectrum, really. Uh, it's a f kind of funny story. The same time ketamine came in my classroom, uh, one of my students had a sticker on his laptop that said ketamine and chill, hmm. which was uh, disturbingly funny, I guess you could say, because it was interesting, the take on it. So. I, I really, in that moment, I really realized that I needed to demystify what it was to me, to my students, and to us as professionals so that we felt safer using it because it is such a beautiful drug. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, we, well, I, I mentioned this off air, it's one of, um, I guess, the more common psychoactive compounds that I haven't tried um, in terms of... Uh, what its effects are and everything. I do have a, a decent idea, but um, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned uh, also what it does, what it is. It's a disassociative. Um, so it is yeah. not your traditional tryptamine playing off your 5-HT2A receptor, kind of a psychedelic. Uh, what would you say um, to people that think, oh, it's not really a psychedelic or those people that'll say, oh, MDMA and ketamine are not traditional or real psychedelics, but obviously they're both being used for therapy now. What would you say to that? Uh, ketamine is one of the most impressive drugs at our cellular level of what it allows us to access. It meets you where you're at. And because it's compounded from earth, just in its most synthesized and user-friendly form, it allows us to disassociate the most archaic component of our brain, which is the reptilian brain. And in that, it liberates the amygdala and the hippocampus, which is where the stored emotional centers of the human experience exist, which then allows you to tap into the areas that are influencing your unconscious mind. It's one of the greatest gifts to perspective shift outside of a hallucinatory that allows you to see different realities in pixelated form. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, what in terms of I know for a lot of like uh, mental health issues, specifically anxiety, the uh, amygdala is kind of that's there's some suspicion that that's probably one of the main um things that's being affected that causes these issues. Do you think that, um, or do you know what effect ketamine has on that part of your brain? Yeah, well, it's all in theory, right? right? And one of the gifts that really allows me to step in with courage is the intelligence of the practice of medicine. Because truly that's what we're doing. And if you look back over the last hundred years, 
Uh, we really have come a long way, but we've also been reinventing the the same, just modifying dosing and or delivery, which is why you see so many drugs being used for so many different things, but it's the same drug, it's just different time or different right. amount and the route of entry. Uh, ketamine's gift as it disassociates that limbic, it allows you to access the parts of you that need to be accessed, meaning as I disassociate and I start to, to travel my mind and become an observer, it allows me to work from the top in, which then allows me to shed the things that I need to primarily before I get down to the root of my whatever it may be as a dysfunction or a debilitating symptomology that doesn't allow me to fully embody life. You know, we can't get through the day-to-day -day because the day-to-day -day is always overwhelming, right? So how do we take a time out and how do we sift through the things that are influencing us and allow us to release it energetically and emotionally without the ego being involved? It shuts down the prefrontal cortex gently enough to where you can liberate that energy and it eliminates our strongholds. Uh, you ask people who are suffering and you ask them if they're okay and it's generic when we say yes, right? Mm -hmm. And so by removing that prefrontal cortex or its ability to egoically tell non-truth, then we can access those points of us that are influencing the nervous system, which is where anxiety comes from. Yeah, I mean, see, the thing is, is I, I would I would be open to trying ketamine therapy for my OCD for sure. And people that listen to our show know I've talked about it a million times, but I mean, psilocybin was uh, instrumental in the path to getting, you know, my OCD down to like nominal levels. Um, and I would say it's, it's, it's always going to be there, but the interesting thing is, is the psilocybin kind of helps you reset. It allows you to look at yourself and the way your mind's working from outside of itself in a way. Um, yeah. I, th I find ketamine interesting because it is a dose disassociative. So being able to just release all of that and just kind of go off on a whole separate thing and then maybe come back might give me even of a different perspective than I had before. So, uh, that's in truth. So Bessel van der Kirk is brilliant with the body keeps the score, right? And so the... Uh, compulsions that we create as we move through childhood and into adulthood, they get memorized by the body. And uh, Dispenza is brilliant in his pieces of how the body is so unconscious. 95% of our physical body is unconscious. So therefore, we have these beautiful transcendental moments of mysticism, and we have... Um, these moments where we're traveling the cosmos or whatever it may be with psychedelics, but when we come back to our body, if we're not capable of pulling the body out of the mind, we're gonna be influenced by the past because the body's memorized a set of behaviors and feelings. So as soon as we're triggered in the physical body, we then start the thinking processes. So we have to be able to liberate that energy from the physical body concurrently. 
and that's where ketamine's gift is. But it, it's not to say that one's better than the other. They all have their purpose. And again, it, the medicine meets you where you're at. So therefore, it's crucial to the mission that you do have experientials with multiple different psychedelics so that you can alter realities. You got to crawl before you walk. Mm -hmm. uh, so for some that are traveling the astral with DMT, for example, that's massive ascension. And that's where you hear people describe these hyperspace-like states to where they're just in this quantum universe where all these little men are reassimilating fractals of their brain. Truth. But because the ascension is so profound, because it goes straight to the pineal, there's this major sense of death. And in a sense, it is ego death because now you can't unsee that experience, right? Yeah. Uh, it becomes uncomfortable to talk about to people who haven't experienced that. However, it refocuses your reality. Uh, psilocybin, I truly think, is the greatest gift to humanity. And in that, it allows neuroengorgement in totality. The whole brain becomes ready to receive information. And in that, we have expansion. But where is the, there's got to be a liberation of energy concurrently. And so how do you do that? And the reptilian brain, I believe, is one of the design flaws of human as we had our evolutionary growth. It keeps us enmeshed in survival by thought alone. And so if I can think my way into a panic attack, I can also think my way into whatever reality I want to exist in. We know that to be true. But if I can't come out of that thinking pattern, then I'm going to relive the same day over and over. It's shown we have 70,000 thoughts a day and 60,000 of those are from the day before. So I'm constantly bringing my past into my present, which doesn't allow me to be present. And then I create the same future the story of my past it's a conundrum of consistent or that spiraled thinking right or it's yeah, the, like old, the old buddhist uh way of thinking or um basically that you know depressions worrying about the past anxieties worrying about the future let's try and live in the present or live in the now it's very hard to do though it's it's a lot uh easier said than done even if totally. you're into meditation and all these different topics and stuff like that. It's still very hard to obtain that. So, yeah, I always get these little bursts, like, cause I've, I, I have anxiety, so <clears throat> I'm worried about the, the future, but sometimes I'll have these clear moments where I'm like, dude, there's nothing to worry about at all. And it's when I find myself kind of getting, you know, grounded in the present. But, uh, I wanted to ask you, I've done ketamine probably a handful of times, but when I think back, because someone was asking me, what, you know, can you explain your experience on it? And I had a hard time really verbalizing what actually happened. And I'm glad that you, you're on today uh, kind of explaining what's going on in the brain and stuff like that. But do you find that a common occurrence where it's hard to kind of actually explain what's going on? Yeah, it's ineffable. And so therefore, because it's transcendental and it's intimate to each person as an individual, there's mm. commonalities, but there's no descriptors in the sense that uh, can make sense outwardly. And we get struck with these knowingnesses, right? Uh, we are the answer as much as we are the problem. And that's an uncomfortable truth. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, when we have these 
beautiful moments where we're just downloaded with information about ourselves, that's truly where the intimacy comes. And so uh, it's not something that's easily explained because you can't necessarily put words to uh, that intimate of a feeling outwardly to where uh, once you come back into your body, you still have these moments where you don't think you're good enough and or the judgments or the misconceptions that can come from you sharing your story because of shame that's been associated with uh, the human journey up into this point. So I think that influences uh, quite a bit, honestly. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I think where some people get caught up to is like, I like both aspects of it. I like the science and the trying to figure out all the mechanisms and how these things work in the body and with our, um, our, you know, biochemistry and everything like that. But then I also, uh, enjoy the mystical and the mysticism, you know, components of it too. And I would say actually for my OCD, the mystical and mysticism aspects of it have been more beneficial than me trying to figure out how my brain works or me trying to unravel my mind, you know, or trying to really understand the OCD. Not that those aren't important. I still do those, but I just feel like the mystical, um, has always been more beneficial and made me feel better. Like when I've had mystical experiences, my anxiety and OCD has dropped way off after those experiences versus a non mystical psychedelic experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. And with my heart and without discrediting any of the science up until this point, because it is in the truth, uh, we're coming up at the end of an era. And so how do we take the intelligence from all the men that have come before us and really step into this new realm of knowingness? And do we have courage to reframe the diagnoses? We have a multitude of symptomology and in that symptomology, we've decided that if you have a certain amount of symptoms that we can diagnose you, which then makes you think that something's wrong with you, that you're working towards fixing A, B, C, all the way to Z. And then it compounds even more from there. It, but in truth, we just learned behaviors to survive. And in that, our survivability had fluctuation based off the environment. And it's cellular by design. It's influenced by the frequency and the vibrations that we were surrounded by even in utero. And so some of these compulsions or some of these distortions or perversions came from the environment and the history of our family. And for some, it's compulsions. For some, it's perversions. None are right or wrong. They simply just are. And so if we can really reframe our relationship with the diagnoses, we see that we just have patterned behaviors. And in that, it gives us more permission to explore ourselves without thinking that we have to fix something specific. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, and I, I would almost relate it to, I mean, the way I think about it is most people now have something wrong with them. I don't think I know anybody that doesn't have some type of mental health issue or, you know, depression more than what's normal or something along those lines. And the way I would equate it to is like growing up, you're always told like, do what makes you happy, just be happy. But what is even happy? I would compare it to the, that, like what's 
you know, what's normal mental health. I don't think happiness or mental health are like states that you can just achieve and you're just, you know, but that's the way it's been portrayed in society since I was, you know, younger or raised or whatever that, you know, you want to make yourself happy or you want to be normal or healthy or whatever. But I don't know if those things exist anymore based on doing this podcast and talking with a bunch of people. So. Right. Well, and think about the confusion it causes at such a developmental age that's so crucial to your mission because you're firing and wiring your prefrontal cortex. How can I tell my kid to be happy? And then in the next breath, I beat the shit out of him and tell them it hurts him more than it hurts me. It hurts me more than it hurts them or that this is for your good or I do this because I love you as I beat the shit out of you. So there is definitely a an area of human that causes massive confusion based off of just the belief system of your parents and how that's been influenced cellularly. Uh, Something to contemplate, which uh, one of the greatest teachers that I've ever uh, sat with, if you contemplate one, you learn all. And so if we think about the fact that I, as a human, was inside of my mom when she was inside of her mom, when she was inside of her mom. It means that I have lived a lot of lifetimes cellularly, which I have been influenced vibrationally. So what's in my lineage that I'm healing? What is mine? How is it com- the, the ability for it to influence my behaviors in my unconsciousness? And that's where the healing starts. Let's look at our parents. Let's look at our moms and our dads and how long they've been in survival. And it's tragic what we've done to human in this belief system that happiness comes from outside of ourselves and obtainment of hurry and worry. We spend so much of our life in a rush to get nowhere fast. And in that, we've also been sold that obtaining things allows for happiness when in totality, It just continuously separates us because now we have to work more to have more to not enjoy any at all. And the next thing you know, your life is over. But by that time, you've been so enmeshed in hurry and worry, your adrenal glands stop functioning because we are the drugs. Mm. And so now I have a multitude of disease and disorder and dysregulation because my nervous system has been so taxed because I'm always in a hurry and I'm always worried. And so I'm dumping epinephrine into my system, which then norepinephrine has to come right alongside of it. And then cortisol starts trying to help out too. But in reality, I'm creating all of that in my mind while I'm sitting right here and I'm not excreting any of it outwardly. So we compound ourselves as the drugs and then we use escapism as a coping modality that also just really escalates the problem because the nervous system doesn't know what the hell to do. Hmm. Do you think um, epigenetics play obviously a big role in this? You're mentioning, you know, the life of cells and uh, lineage and everything. Do you think that, you know, our daemons and demons and angels and entities that people experience do you think that these are all epigenetic manifestations of the past or not necessarily manifestations uh, but it's yours to heal Hmm. Uh, i know that in my lineage i'm healing much of narcissism 
and the martyrism that comes from women being so deeply enmeshed in survival and for men to be so prideful through poverty and what that has done to family dynamics and the way that we just influence the human experience. And so in that, what we're all here uh, by choice in this human emission, right? And so it's ours to heal. And in that, some of it's not mine per se from this lifetime, but it is because it's in me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so therefore, what am I healing? I'm healing lifetimes of trauma down to my cute grandma, right? <laughs> as far as my how my memories go back, uh, I only knew my great grandma for a short period of time. Uh, she was Sicilian. Uh, she was never allowed to drive a car. She walked everywhere. She grew her own food. She canned everything. Uh, but she was to be seen and not heard. And so what has that done to the women in my family? And what did that emulate for relationships? And how did that impact the, the wounded masculine energy that uh, allows you to beat the shit out of women and to also do the same to your children and how we've normalized that or how we better don't even talk about it right and so those are things that i am healing in my unconscious self because i came in with it as a gene expression and it's shown that in two realms you can heal that. One is through epigenetic profiling and truly seeing where gene expression is either overexpressing or underexpressing, or if you're methylating or not, and how that's impacted by the food system, which then we can actually create nutraceuticals that are designed for your gene expression. So therefore you're not taking things inadvertently or hope on a whim and not knowing if it's working. Uh, or the other side of it is through a catalyst of meditation or a psychedelic experience that allows you this massive ascension, which then in that moment you're struck with knowingness of a course correction of your life. Uh, that's tragedy and rock bottom. And for some of us, we, it's a bitch to come out of. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think um, we're all trying to heal in different ways. And I think that, oh, yeah. um, as you mentioned, everybody's got different backgrounds and different things. And that's why I always subscribe to uh, more options, whether it's more different types of therapy, psychotherapy, psychedelic therapy, you know, let's get all the tools out there and let people start figuring out what's going to work for them, what works for their, um, their chemistry, their biochemistry, and also their mind and what they're trying to accomplish through it and everything. Cause again, I don't think that there is any actual normal or whatever is considered, uh, normal. Um, when you look at ketamine in terms of um, 
researching like consciousness. So like I know that they've used anesthesia and anesthetics to try and figure out what's going on with the brain, what is consciousness, how does it work kind of a thing. Um, do you think that ketamine could play a role in that? Because there have been pioneers that have really pushed it. Like I'm sure, uh, you know, John C. Lilly and everything that he, um, did the intramuscular injections and the, um, you know, the different realms and meeting these organizations of, uh, beings at the top and everything yeah. like that. Uh, so do you, what do you think about that? The whole ketamine, you know, mixed with trying to figure out consciousness hundred percent. And that is the mission, uh, as a big picture, right. Uh, and then how we get there is intimate to each one individually. Uh, we are consciously driven. We're in a loop and uh, that loop is not the traditional loop. It's the loop of the spiral, right? With his ascension and descension. And we exist in all those realms. And so the consciousness is the observer itself. Without the observer, nothing exists. And so therefore, each person has their own observation, which is the interpretation of their consciousness and the levels that are within. For some of us, we don't have a line of integrity. For some of us, sociopathy is our normality. If you ask anybody that's ever killed anybody, they did it because that's what they needed to do. They think they're right. And in all actuality, they are, right? Because that's their reality. But because that doesn't align with our reality, we think their reality is wrong, which there is no such thing as right or wrong, which could be definitely controversial if you don't have an open-mindedness to just hear the information. Hmm. Uh, the viewpoint or where what I believe the human experience is designed for is love. As an observation, what's your lens? And right now, there's no greater time in uh, the planet than to see everyone's observations out loud and very obviously, right? Consciousness exists in the eye of the observer. And if you're able to transcend levels of consciousness through liberations of energy with the catalyst and the gift of psychedelics, then your consciousness has expansion. And in that expansion, your worldview changes. And if your worldview changes for the greatest good, then you start behaving differently. Maybe now I don't throw my trash out my car window. Yeah. Maybe now. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that yesterday. Blows my mind too, but I don't exist in that realm. To them, they're just literally doing what they know how to do. Yeah. Uh, All reality exists all the time. And that's what we're trying to do is say what's right or wrong, but none of it is because it all exists. So it's perfect by design. Yeah. Don't throw your trash out of your car. Actually, <laughs> I'm Logan, I'll attack you. I, I have a funny anecdote about that real quick. I'll keep it short. When we were in high school, we used to, I was one of the first people to have my license. So we would take my car and go to like, you know, whatever fast food place during lunch. And uh, I think, were you in the car, Maurice, with us that one day? I know you were in the car. I'm when sure the, I was. The police came. But um, <laughs> so somebody threw like a Wendy's bag out of my backseat window, somebody that was in my car with all the food in it, and landed on this guy's lawn. Lo- little oh, did I we know, there, yeah. the guy was looking out of his window, got in his car, boxed me in on the street, um, and started yelling at us. I'm like, whatever, dude. And we drove off. A week later, I'm driving Maurice and I to school, and a cop pulls me over. 
Uh, and he says, were you eating lunch outside? So I literally got pulled over and got a littering ticket for somebody else throwing a bag out of my backseat window of my car. I ended up getting like a small fine. But, um, yeah, don't throw stuff out of your car. That was your especially, lesson right there. Especially, yeah, don't let idiots in your car was my lesson. So. <laughs> that was probably blanky. Kevin Smith, <laughs> we know who you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's funny but it it is those stories right right um but so back to the ketamine stuff as as far as um the mind works and everything we have two different things going on right we have let's look at the brain just hypothetically as a radio or receiver of information data vibrations all that stuff um you have the vibrations and everything coming in that's being interpreted through your biological systems, but then you also have your internal dialogue, perceptions, and everything happening as well. So when people say, oh, we've figured out consciousness, or you see an article, oh, we might have figured a hacked, cracked consciousness, or we uh, figured out um, how the mind works, it's, it's always some BS article because... I don't think we're ever going to figure it out. Number one, unless we can get outside of consciousness, which I don't think is possible in some way, maybe if we create some sort of AI or something, but um, to look at ourselves from outside of ourselves truly, not just from like an out of body or a psychedelic experience, but to look at us analytically from outside of ourselves, I think is what it would take. I don't think that's possible. And then number two, again, you have two different components. So you'd have to figure out the internal uh, perception and experiential aspect of it and also the stuff that's coming in as well. So it's kind of a very complicated thing. I don't know why um, people think they have it figured out. But in Meditation, some of our greatest teachers, Dispenza, I wholeheartedly, uh, he's a gift. I have to check words. him out. I actually... I've seen some quacky people mention his stuff, so I didn't know what to think of it. But I've seen some interesting posts of his, too. So I don't know. Um, I'm somewhere, you know, we like to walk the line uh, a little bit mm-hmm. of between the woo and the the material. You know, that's what our show does. You know, let's look at all yeah. the stuff. But uh, I'm, I, what is there a book that he's written or something I should check out oh, or a video? So or? many. Anything you click on that's Dispenza is a full body yes from okay. me. Uh, he's a gift, and he teaches you how to unfold as an awareness into infinite consciousness, which is nothingness, which gives you everything. Mm. And that's in truth, because we are consciousness. Uh, we are just as much consciousness as this table, as that plant, and mm. we're held together by static electricity, organized right. gravity. <laughs> and in that, uh, once we realize that, we are the mystic. We just have a program that has been downloaded and created from our upbringing that we also have as an observatory perspective from ourselves, right? Uh, I believe that I unfold into an awareness every day in meditation into infinite consciousness, and I practice it wholeheartedly by using my heart as a magnet. Hmm. That may sound crazy as shit. No, no, it doesn't. Oh, trust me, we, 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 yeah, we've had all that stuff. Yeah, and we've had some real crazy people on the show in the past. Earlier, earlier in the podcast. But no, um, uh, in terms of, yeah, like I said, I've seen some questionable people tweet out his stuff, but I've seen clips of him talking where I'm like, that doesn't sound yeah. that, you know, out of the realm of things that I, we already talk about. Well, so. it's like how you interpret it, you know. It's... Right. I think it was just 
yeah, my perception was altered based on my perceptions of other people, which I shouldn't yes. allow. I, sh- I need to check into it. But um, yeah, I think that when you talk about these subjects too, it, it is kind of like, um, how can I give this subject credibility without taking the components that are helpful, like the mystical you know, aspects or the mysticism? Because um, I know there's going to be people out there, the naysayers or the dogmatists or the materialists or whatever that are going to say oh it's just product of your brain function and this and that and again i and we were talking about this a couple episodes ago even if we were to map out the brain completely um that still wouldn't explain experience or it still wouldn't show you experience it's kind of a completely different thing and that's why i don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that um, we are just these physical beings or something else going on. I don't know exactly what right. it is, but I'm open. Yeah. Uh, yes. So much. Yes. Right. Uh, when we look at consciousness and the human experience, it really is the, there's so many different quotes and phrases. And uh, one of those that becomes really evident through interpretation is that we use others as a mirror or that we're mirroring, like what we see as an observer is a reflection of our inner self. And so if we have these moments where we can take a step back and actually listen to what's being said to us rather than responding to what we're hearing, everybody will tell you who they are. That's their lens, right? And so therefore, whatever we perceive of another person is truly a perception that we hold within ourselves. And if there's misalignment in information, we cast judgment. And in that casting of judgment, there's a provocation of emotion from a past experience. So therefore, if I'm triggered or upset by something that someone says, now I'm responding emotionally and energetically. I'm giving that person power over me because I'm allowing them to influence my behaviors and my mood. And if I do that over and over and over again, energetically, I become exhausted and then those feelings start to become my mood. And if I fire and wire it long enough, that mood becomes my personality. And now that's just who I am. And then I become hell-bent in that as the way that I always will be. You hear people say it all the time. Well, I've been this way for, mm-hmm. and I've been this way because, and we blame it on someone other than ourselves. And that's where truly stepping into who we see ourselves as. You already are it. So just be Mm-hmm. yeah it's all these stories that we've been telling ourselves and it's like it's hard to get away from that story once you believe it you buy into it and it's it's all she wrote yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean i'm interested too in the aspects you mentioned like a mirror but i also think that humans are just almost we are almost like ai like the amount of people i see that retweet talking points or just repeat things that they've heard or they don't actually look into things or research things or vet things or cross-reference things and is crazy and like people are just going throughout their days just spreading this information out there that they don't even know if it's true or not because they haven't even looked into it so i look at humans as almost like a flawed but more capable AI in a way, like in in one way, we're the greatest problem solvers, right? When we put our mind to something or we come together and we can figure things out pretty crazy, you know, in pretty crazy circumstances. But then when you take an individual 
somebody that's into something and then again they don't do their research or homework and they start talking and it's just I don't know I, I try and be as original as possible but it's so hard it's so hard to, to tap into that creative realm and pull something out that's never been pulled out before or doesn't have any of the causal lineage or lines of previous people and things and whatever so um yeah i mean as much as i agree with you it's it's we're seeing and perceiving things almost like when people see entities uh whether it be like metaphysical entities or aliens or you know whatever it's usually projecting things that they're already into or whatever it's like as you mentioned mirroring something so i mean what do you think in terms of uh do you think that we're going to be able to use these tools psychedelics um to kind of break free from that as well and be more conscious of not repeating things and actually becoming more original in some way if that makes sense a hundred percent and it's not necessarily originality it's in alignment with life Hmm. as soon as we align with life right it's do no harm yeah if everybody held that mantra It's so simple, but then you see how attached you are, which is the conundrum. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what I was talking about is where sometimes I get these glimpses of just it's everything's going to be okay and there's nothing to worry about, but it's hard to, to, to hold on to those, to hold on to that for some reason, even though I know that it exists, my mind wants to drag me into these other worrisome states, but it's like... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've been talking a lot with my therapist about that. And he's like, at least you're getting that glimpse because once you start seeing that, then it'll become more and more prevalent in your life. And hopefully I start drifting into that more often. And then I can kind of just live in that state. And the, this other bad state will be the one that comes in ever so often, if at right. all. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that it's bad. It's the unconscious self. And Mm -hmm. so therefore, if I become aware of my unconscious thoughts, I then can become aware of how to shift them. And how do we do that mindfully, right? Uh, Practicing the pause allows you to feel the emotions without the thoughts coming out of your mouth. Uh, The minute I'm triggered, if I just respond with my words, I create harm, I can right? Because now it's responsive based off of a trigger, based off of a deep feeling that came from the bottom line of me not being good enough when I was a little girl. And so how have I protected my heart and self? And if that was for me to avoid, distract, distort, what's your narrative? How do you do? How do you diffuse, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I realize that it's simply a feeling in my unconscious self, which remember the body's 95% unconscious. So if my body feels it and I sit with that feeling and I allow it to be felt, but I don't respond with my words, I then just taught my body that I'm in control. Otherwise, if my body responds and then I respond from that feeling, I've reinforced it. I just fired and wired it deeper and now i can't shut this thing off now i'm just responding out of this deep feeling this wound of lack we're not good enough 
And now I'm using my words to cause harm to make myself feel better because the more I push you away, the better I feel or safer I feel when in reality it actually makes me feel like shit because all of us as humans are designed for connection. At mm. the end of the day, we all want love. But how badly have we been hurt in love? And how have yeah. we been sold this narrative on love? Love cannot be given or taken. If love turns to hate, that was never love. That was attachment and possession. Mm -hmm. Love is who we are. Yeah, I mean. Well, my mind's uh, been blown. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, let's, let's, I want to move to now. Let's talk a little bit about the process of one of these sessions because yeah. I am interested in the inner workings of how that, that goes. But so things that you point out on your website, uh, OCD, mental health issues, addiction issues, um, even pain, I believe, because you're, you're a paramedic yeah. that you mentioned that it's been used in your work as a paramedic to, you know, when people have an issue that they, that's yeah. what you give them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it does beautiful things with it in the moment of the trauma because now I'm not creating a network based off of the event. So we're also helping people with their attachment to PTSD. And that's a huge concept that is in process. And I know that with my whole heart, I worked so diligently to share that with my guys and girls. But women weren't as prevalent in the paramedic realm as men are. Uh, it's fascinating as well. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, there's sometimes where there's none or there's only one. I got called sir for a majority wow. of my career because I was the only woman for so long. It's like, man, you're a pioneer. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, so before we walk through like the process of the actual, why don't you just give us a little bit? Cause I don't think we got enough of your background. Like yeah. what was walk us through like, you know, your work with this stuff, but also like how, what led when you, when did you find it? Yeah. 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 Uh, I started my profession when I was 18 with wildland fire hmm. Uh, I wanted to be a smoke jumper, and I ended up breaking both my feet at the same time, <laughs> which then shifted my career slightly. Sure. Uh, but my career started with wildland fire, which then led me to understanding that the medical and fire were concurrent. Um, I lost my dad to suicide when I was 15. And in that, that, the well, thank you. Um, it's fascinating to think that I've been alive longer without him than I've ever been with him, right? Uh, I really was blessed looking back by um, these beautiful mentors in the form of uh, firemen, captains, battalion chiefs. Uh, my mom ran a restaurant when I was a little girl, and so did my cute grandma because I grew up in restaurants. Uh, I started waitressing when I was... 14 child labor law right yeah. uh, my mom doesn't mess around she's italian <laughs> as hell right she's like you <laughs> you look like you're gonna be in trouble get your ass to work right <laughs> uh and so i was really gifted by people seeing my work ethic right uh, my mom's zero tolerance for bullshit too which i give her such props to what she has created in my ability to just get shit done and uh, in that, I was uh, really fortunate to be coursed in a series of events 
uh, wildland fire when I turned 18, then led to EMT school, which is emergency medical technician at the basic level. Uh, then from there, it, uh, after my third year of sleeping in the dirt <laughs> and on these really big fires, right, there's these men and sometimes a woman or two would come out of hotels just like they looked refreshed and clean. And I was like, how do you get on that engine? <laughs> like I'm over here sleeping in the dirt for sport, right? And these guys are coming out of the hotel like, what's that? Well, this is what you got to do. So uh, I went to municipal or county fire, which San Bernardino County Fire is my mission right now to bring this medicine to all of those men and women. Uh, so I went to the city side or the municipal side of fire. And at the same time I was experiencing that, I was also putting uh, the, the intelligence from the EMT side. Uh, side story, when I was a little girl, my dad and I used to always watch In Living Color. And one of our favorite skits oh. was oh, yeah. when he was a Jamaican. He's like, you only got, you only got four, you're lazy, man. <laughs> so... Uh, I worked four jobs for a long time, uh, and looking back, that was one of my escapes, right? It was busyness. And so uh, I really started working diligently to get experience as an EMT. So I worked on a private ambulance in the middle of nowhere uh, in Barstow. Uh, at the same time, I worked in the emergency room, and I was also working for San Bernardino County Fire Department, and I was still waitressing. So I was doing all of these things to really allow myself this large awareness of the field because I didn't want to fail, right? Mm -hmm. I also have this insatiable desire, or I did, with competition and being number one. I needed to be the smartest, period. And so as I progressed through the field, it led me into paramedicine. And so as I worked as a paramedic, I then transitioned into the private sector on an ambulance. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, I was just increasing my threshold of adrenaline. <laughs> so after my time as a paramedic on the ground, I wholeheartedly wanted to fly in helicopters. So then I transitioned my career to flight as a flight paramedic. Uh, at the same time, I also was really called to teach. And so I concurrently taught at the same time I would fly. You know, still working on the ground. Uh, so I had these multiple different perspectives of emergency medicine. And uh, I flew until I was five months pregnant with wow. my son. Uh, and it was in those moments I was like, all right, I can't, this, this doesn't work, right? Uh, I need to be able to be home and to nurture my body because this is my new shift. Uh, at that same time, I... Uh, it was during the 2008-2009 timeframe when the housing market was just crumbling, jobs were elusive, and uh, there was an opportunity from my time and grade as a, a GS for the feds with wildland fire. I worked for the Bureau of Land Management, and I was able to step into a role at the federal prison, the Bureau of Prisons for the feds, so I went and worked in the U.S. Pen as a medic in special housing, it's character building. And uh, I did that until I, I had my son. I left work really at like six months pregnant, uh, really nurtured the pregnancy. And then unbeknownst to me, I became this 
uh, mom that made food from scratch. Uh, I nursed him wholeheartedly, and then I still stepped into the teaching realm at night. Uh, my mom was a huge asset in that because she helped so much with him when he was little to bring him to me at work so I could still nurse him uh, and all these other pieces, right? So uh, the educational side has been there since around 2001. Uh, I've been teaching. I stepped in uh, to a primary role in 2007, mm. uh, receiving tenure and full-time as a professor in 2019. 2020, sorry. Oh, wow. And yeah, so teaching ran concurrently as I was also working in the field. Uh, I spent some time with Sheriff's Department on air rescue as well because I love flying. I love the camaraderie. I love the badassery. Uh, I love all of those pieces that go along with being able to help people in those sure. moments. I One of my gifts is that I think very quickly on the fly as problem solver. So uh, I love it. And uh, the same time as the classroom, when I stepped into teaching, they're like, hey, you're teaching anatomy and physiology. And I'm like, what? Come again? <laughs> you know, I'm a paramedic, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so I really started to teach myself A&P. At the same time, I was also really stepping into pharmacology and then the theoretical side of medicine. Uh, at that same time, uh, it became really evident to me of how much had been memorized and how much there isn't comprehension of the material. Uh, so I really started to practice what's called the Pygmalion effect. And it's loving people where they're at and giving the opportunity for them to explain the theories at hand through their lens without the influence of my lens, but with the validity of the material. Ah. Uh, it changed it's it changed everything as far as how the practice of medicine and the comprehension i eliminated multiple choice and only allowed for essays so that you could truly tell me how you understood it through your lens i set the bar and as long as you made it to the bar integrously we then moved forward uh, otherwise, you learned where your shortcomings were and then how to mend that based off of what you need as a person rather than an unfair expectation of how I want you to learn information. Hmm. No, right? that's, I wish I had more teachers like that when I was younger. Uh, well, you found her now, my friend. Those the thrive in that classroom, my goodness. Uh, and at that same time, uh, I really started to lean into removing PowerPoints, removing things that really just allowed for drowsiness sure, <laughs> or daydreaming or whatever. So the engagement of lifetime teaching really required me to have a level of comprehension that I could just speak to it. I became it. And every time I practiced it, it deepened. Oh, which then it just became this knowingness inside of my heart to where it would just flow through my body. And uh, ketamine came into our drug box. And uh, each year I would see, or even every six months, I would see protocol changes. We're constantly practicing medicine. We either change the dose, we change the delivery, we change the symptomology because it's a continuous practice of medicine period. And so in that, we really start to see the shifts 
over the last decade, two decades, 50 years, century, uh, we used to only drive hearses. And if you looked like you were dead, yeah, we'd take you to a morgue. I didn't know that. That's interesting. We didn't take you to a hospital. If we thought you were going to make it based off of a scale from your motor function, your verbal function, and the way that you respond, we would then decide either you're going to die in the morgue or you're going to a hospital. People would wake up in morgues. I was going to say, have you ever. (laughs) It's like a Fresh Prince episode. That's. We uh, we've done a ton of episodes on near death experiences. It's one of the things that we're fascinated uh, with, both Maurice yeah. and I. Have you seen anything like that uh, in your oh. work? Uh, people that have come back and said that they've seen things, or people that have experienced loved ones or entities, or oh yeah, and it even happens with ketamine administration in the field. Interesting. Uh, the the beauty and. It's again through the eye of the observer. We see so much sadness uh, in the complexity of the emergency and in the location, right? Uh, I worked for years in heavily poverty areas. And so to see it at its most vulnerable state uh, in existence is truly where my background comes from. Uh, in addition to me growing up very poor as well, uh, it really brings light to how much all reality exists all the time. Hmm. We just don't know it because it's not something we uh, readily see, right? How often are you going into strangers' homes that are it's in the middle of the ghetto? Right. <clears throat> Never. So did you... When you do these, you're resuscitating or you're, do you, when do you give the ketamine? If, if somebody is like, so if they like broke their leg and their bones sticking out of their leg, you know, their knee or their, their, uh, uh, their arms hanging off or something like that, do you administer it then? Or like, do you, yeah. what do you, what do you, okay. Yeah, is it like one of the first things you do when you like arrive on the scene? Yeah, well, after assessment is done, so you have to remove any potentialities for the inability to give the medicine. Relative contraindications or absolute contraindications. So there's gray areas, and then there's also uh, about 4%, two on each side of the black and whites for definitiveness, and then the rest of EMS is gray. Hmm. And so you really have to be able to navigate because the scene is the unpredictability there's continuity in symptomology, but you're presented with difference at all times, which is why it's such a fascinating field because it's never the same, but it's always the same. <laughs> Interesting. It's predictably unpredictable. Um, <laughs> so walk us through now um, what happens at your clinic. How does this work? Yeah. Somebody goes on, you have your website. I have the link down below if anybody's interested and lives in, uh, you said Encinitas? Yeah. Um, if you live in that yeah, area or right now, it's not that far from there, uh, I have the link down below. Check it out. But so somebody would sign up for an appointment. Does now where are we at with the whole um, medical field? Is this covered? Is any uh, of this stuff covered at all under insurance or no? Are we not yes. there? Yes. Oh, it is. Okay. Full body. Yes. Wow. Uh, the universe, uh, January first. Uh, well. Those are two separate statements. Let me back up a little bit. Okay. Uh, 
one of the things that I have been saying over and over is that how do we have insurance backing behind this? And it was something I was really passionate about, just uh, how do we get this covered? And how do we get it to everybody, right? Because it's moral injury to an mm. extent of every time I have to tell somebody how much the cost is versus what they can afford when they're in a crisis. Right. And so therefore the universe connected uh, flow with Anthea and Anthea with flow, which Anthea is the first psychedelic insurance company. Wow. Uh, we went live as the first clinic January 1st. Uh, and the first company that's working with Anthea is Dr. Bronner's. And so uh, we have been wholeheartedly serving Dr. Bronner's uh, as their clinic since January 1st. So there's that as a psychedelic insurance, as an employer-driven nonprofit. They are the future of medicine and healthcare and really changing our relationship with insurance, period. Yeah. And it has inspired me to truly figure out the algorithm of how to have submittals for the way that we have the medicine structured to allow for insurance companies to provide reimbursements to people who already have standing insurances, which we're receiving anywhere from 50 to 100% coverage for the medicine. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, take priority I, health. I'm coming out there. Right. right? So we're going to send, we're, we're gonna send Maurice out there. He's going to be in the field working. Um, but so now somebody signs up, they come in, walk us through the process of how this works yeah. at your clinic. Totally. Uh, you have a first phone call with me if you feel called to have more information or that initial free consultation for candidacy. Uh, and that's usually a 20 to 30 minute conversation with me and or my team. So Lauren is one of the greatest gifts to flow. She organizes and orchestrates and she's able to speak to the medicine as well. And so that first free consultation then puts you into meet our therapist, who she spends 50 minutes to an hour with you and really understanding how it is we can show up for you. Uh, then we hand you to our doctors who do a medical screening to make sure that there is no problematics or potentials in the field that your body would have an adversity, which is very rare because ketamine is such a safe drug. Hmm. And if there are any areas of concern, we then can see you right then and there too, whether that's lab work, whether that's naturopathy, whatever it may be. The doctors are also there to be able to see you wholeheartedly uh, outside of clearing you for the medicine. And so once those pieces fall in, then we create you an algorithm or we create you your own care plan, which walks you through the medicine. And in that, it really depends on, again, why we're seeing you and what you feel called to. Uh, for some, one-time session is a huge step. And so I don't want to try to tell you that you need X amount of infusions when really you just want to experience the medicine first hmm. and safely 
and intimately and then you can decide how you move forward with the medicine because again it's the unknown right. it's a scary place sometimes right and so we really take into consideration what it is you need what it is we suggest and how we can work together in mutualism so that you get the best benefit from the medicine and then the resources that go along with that are just beautiful to help you move through the medicine deepen your understanding and expand your consciousness through vibration and frequency and intelligence books documentaries places to go to expand your awareness and just deepen comprehension with an area of validity so that you're not trying to google search what you think you're going to expect which can definitely influence the experience especially if you come upon something that comes through a lower level of consciousness in their intelligence that's where the medicine gets a bad name right what about so you're in there do you, can you pick your own like playlist or play music while you're in there or uh i have the most we we are specific to our music uh, okay we use Let frequency the masters control it yeah yeah uh we use frequency to help move you through yourself cellularly so i do have okay. a cellular approach of how to bask that and surrender it from your existence so That's some sort liberation. of like binaural Energy. beats or frequency yeah. meditation track yeah. kind of a thing okay yeah and everything's headphone based so it's very immersive and then we do use mindfolds uh, and then of course the recliner is the zero gravity and then the blankets uh, if you would like to bring your own so it feels cozier we 100% support that but we also support you with what we have in-house too it's come as you are uh, I just require you have a snack for when you come yeah. back to yourself <laughs> so is it it's a is it What's the room like? Is it like a sterile medical type no. room or is it it's like more of a cozy type environment? Yes, it's okay. super cozy. Uh, we've worked really hard to make it as non-medical as possible, uh, but still have all of those key pieces in play. Uh, again, one of the most fascinating pieces of ketamine or in all drugs is the LD50. And I encourage you to read on it. Right. It's lethal, lethal dosing at 50%. The LD50 is designed of what drug can you give to where 50% of the people die? And then if 50% of the people live, we give it to the humans. So I should rephrase that. We give it to animals first. And once only 50% of them die, we deem it to be safe for human. Wow. It's mind blowing. And yeah, there's a whole scale. People should definitely check that out. I think cannabis totally. is like one of the, obviously the safest. I don't think I mean, oh, you'd have to eat yeah. a ton of hash. Um, yeah. And then I think psilocybin is actually one of the safest ones as well, too. I mean, I totally. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but the it's moral good. of that. Well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Well, the moral of it was the LD50 of ketamine is 600 milligrams per kilo. And I'm not saying this because I want people to know that them doing straight right. K is safe because right. uh, that's set and setting. And if you can't feel your body and you have a desirable drug like, you know, an orifice, it puts you at risk. And so, therefore, the lethal dosing of ketamine is 600 milligrams per kilo. It's one of the safest drugs to be administered what do you do you give everybody the same dose initially or what's it no. does it depend on weight and all that it's or like, weight yeah 
So is it when you do these sessions, does it ever do you, let's say the first session you, I mean, what would an average first session dose be? Would you say, I mean, I know it's varies, but like what would, uh, from 30 to 45 milligrams. Okay. And now does that stay consistent when you go back? Like you come back or is it, do you up it for the next time or how does that work? Yeah, it, we work with you. So okay. it really depends on how you're able to surrender, right? We always talk about intention. Uh, but reality is attention, right. paying attention to it. And then the goal is no tension. And that's surrender. Right. Uh, otherwise, we're still in our intellectual mind and we're troubleshooting. We're contemplating. We're comparing. Mm. Which then also allows the medicine, even though it's disassociating, you're still trying to control it. Right. And that's the gift of some of these other powerful psychedelics of dosing structure, right? Uh, three grams of mushrooms, you really don't have much control in that. You're experiencing it. And that's why set and setting is so crucial to the mission and the support of people around you with trip sitters and or guides right. that have a line of integrity so that you don't also put yourself in an unnecessary risk. Yeah, we've talked about it a million times. Usually bad trips or what people call bad trips are actually just people being confronted with the stuff that they haven't been willing to confront uh, subconsciously or consciously. Um, and that's when they say, oh, I had a bad trip, man, or I was experiencing the worst things that have happened to me or thinking about all these bad things that have happened. So that's why I tell people, like, if you've had, like, a death in the family or something traumatic recently, like, it's fresh. It might not be the best time. You might need to let that dust settle a little before oh, you yeah. get in there and process that. But, yeah, for the most part, when I hear bad trip, I think, well, that person just had a challenging trip with things. They were thinking about things that they didn't want to think about, which is actually, Bless oddly you. enough, the most therapeutic way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, have you ever met your nervous system before? So we do take into consideration your relationship with how you deal with anxiety and uh, your escapism. And that just comes down to how safe are you for telling the truth? Hmm. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm very Sounds like, I want to get signed up. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm I'm intrigued by it. Like I said, I, I'm I, for because of my OCD. I've been willing to try a lot of different things uh, outside the scope of conventional medicine um, to get there. I think meditation's been a super big help. And look, yeah. I have nothing against SSRIs either. They work. They've worked for me in the past in certain you know time periods and stuff like that. So I'm not against anything. I know there are people in the psychedelic community that are. Like I said, I'm all about whatever works for you. Everybody's biochemistry is different. So if you can find something that works for you and is able to help you in whatever way that is, great. But I think that uh, with people that are conventional treatment resistant, it is nice to have these tools and options out there now. So, um, And then you are seeing kind of a trend where, you know, there is a little bit of a battle, but I don't know why all these things can't coexist together if people want to use them like anything else. I mean cognitive uh, liberty right like let people do yeah. whatever they want you know for their own minds or health or whatever yeah and really evaluating our relationship with the legislate if you have ever thrown up from alcohol you have overdosed mm. period 
And so I would encourage the release of judgment to drugs outside uh, of the ones my that least favorite compound. Well, don't get us started on the booze. <laughs> Alcohol is my least favorite compound. I've never been a, a Maury's can, a, can attest to this. I've never been a big drinker. Obviously, we in high school, we did dumb stuff and drank and right. certain yeah. occasions and things like that. But um, now the only time I drink is maybe if it's a nice hot day, I might have a nice cold Modelo or uh, craft beer or something like that. But I'm not a drinker at all. And I do think it is one of the worst compounds for altering the mind i just don't think there's anything that <laughs> productive that comes out of it but it is one of the oldest compounds that we have abused right so totally um, it's definitely ingrained within our dna and our minds yeah. and everything so could yeah, you imagine vibration state. oh for sure could you imagine if they put a dosing structure on the side of the uh the side of the 12 packs you'd only be able to have yeah. half a beer man because it, yeah, it's crazy uh, otherwise the dosing structure in alcohol holy moly yeah. bars would go out of business right now oh well, yeah that's because the then thing. they'd only be able to serve half an ounce or whatever it was weight dependent right uh we just we serve you until you're slavic Mm -hmm. <laughs> so much we forget our yeah. so much we forget our credit cards at the bar we don't even know if the drinks that are charged on well there it does real treated. damage too we've had family members die from alcoholism and um oh yeah maurice and i you know we definitely have it in our family and stuff like that so um Same. i've never looked at it in like with a fondness or like yeah let's drink or party you know and um, i'm not against again if you want to do that that's fine but from an objective standpoint, I do think it is one of the worst <laughs> compounds. And it's bad on your body. I, I can't tell you how many articles I've seen lately where it's like, similar to cigarettes, there's no amount of drinking that's good for your body or good for your liver or whatever. So, um, yeah. Right. It's the relationship with it. And how indigenous is it? Because if we truly allowed alcohol to come from source, we would all cultivate agave Mm. And we would love it. We would grow it. I do like tequila, actually. It, if I were to right? pick a, it's got uh, that but that imagine, uh, nice up up you know like a uplifting feel. I could tell you a thirteen year old story <laughs> that why I don't like tequila, <laughs> right? Uh, but in that, if we truly cultivated how to create it from source, we'd have such a different relationship and respect for it rather than the convenience of it just abundantly placed on every street corner with promos of buy three and get one free, you know? Right. So uh, really it's a shame uh, so much as uh, the crisis of sugar. Sugar mm. is more addictive than cocaine, period. Yeah, sugar is a, is a, is a brutal one for a lot of people. Um, I don't, it's in so many things though. It's just really hard to get away from it. Um, yeah. but yeah, you're right. I mean, when your gut gets that, uh, gets that alteration and all, that's all it wants is, uh, sugar yeah. and it's I, dopamine. Had to, I had to cut out caffeine completely from, from my anxiety. So I don't drink any pop oh. or, co or, um, uh, coffee or anything like that. I, when I yeah. do have coffee now, it's like, did I just do Coke? Like that's, it <laughs> makes me like, yeah, let's, you know, let's do, yeah. And then my mind starts racing. I'm like, oh, now I know why I don't do this so yeah well um, think about this little drug right here oh i know that our phones are <laughs> i mean we're basically androids right now because we have uh technology on us at all times but a hundred percent so yeah. 
I do want to kind of wrap it up here. Would you be willing to do like a 10 or 15 minute Patreon segment? Do you have some time still? Yeah, I would love okay. that. So Patreon's for our paying subscribers, which we appreciate all of our listeners and viewers. But uh, yeah, we're going to do a Patreon segment here. But so people can go check out Christy's uh, website. And if you're interested in the therapy, um, you know, I recommend going to check that out. It's at flowintegrativeketamine.com. And they've got all the information. It's actually a great website. Lots of uh, information on there. And uh, mm-hmm. they kind of walk you through it all. And uh, so, yeah, go check that out. And uh, I'm not going to go through our old same spiels. But uh, if you're interested, check out all of our links in our link tree link down below. We're about to start our Patreon segment with Christy, which is, again, if you want access to that, it's $2 a month. You'll get exclusive guest episodes. We have tons of stuff on there. Rick Strassman, Randall Carlson, um, anybody that we've pretty much had on the podcast, we've we've done at least one point or another on there. So go check that out. Uh, and again, uh, we really appreciate everybody out there. Christy, thank you so much. We will have you back on yeah. in the future to continue this conversation for thank sure. You. And I really appreciate what you're doing and your perspective and your background. And uh, it seems like you're really passionate about it, which is what I would hope for most of these um, clinics and, uh, you know, places that are popping up all over with the psychedelic movement happening here. So, um, but yeah, I really appreciate everything you're doing and uh, we look forward to seeing what you do in the future. And uh, yeah, we love everybody. Stay safe out there. And we will catch you next time. Peace. Peace.